power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. It's TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast. Ooh, the man of tomorrow is here to talk some Star Wars, baby. And um, this is going to be another solo episode, not as in Solo the movie. Though actually, we will talk a little bit about Han Solo in this, even though you might not think it's related. But we have got another book review to get into. And, you know, this... I want to be careful in saying this, and you need to pay really close attention to the words I am using, okay? Um, Because I don't want you to confuse the term important with greatest. But this is probably, in the new canon, since Disney took over, this is easily the most important Star Wars book ever written. I mean, just flat out. Like, there, there is no other book. Like, if, I, if someone was to ask me, okay, what Star Wars book should I read um, if I wanted to start reading Star Wars books? Or if there's just one that I should read, you know, to understand the movies and TV shows and whatever else better, what should I read? It would be this one. Uh, it would be Star Wars Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher. Now, again, hear me out. Because while I am saying it is the most important book, I am not saying that Shadow of the Sith is the greatest Star Wars novel. In fact, that would, I mean, you know, we can, it's kind of a subjective thing and we could quibble a bit on what that would be. Uh, I think a lot of people would generally say something like Claudia Gray's Lost Stars um, or even something like maybe Dark Disciple. uh, Or, you know, for me, it's been the Thrawn books, um, like the especially the original trilogy of Thrawn books, and I don't mean the ones from the 90s. I mean, we're talking, and again, we're talking new canon here. Because really, just about anything um, that's new canon, as far as uh, uh, extraneous material, you know, comics, novels, video games, whatever, all of them just pale in comparison to pre-Disney, what was being, you know, accomplished and done and written and put out there. That's... In my opinion, it's just, it's not even a matter of like, that's not subjectivity. That's just a fact. Um, And I imagine the sales numbers probably bear that out. Like, I gotta believe that Star Wars books and comics were far outselling what comes out today. Even though there are more Star Wars fans than ever, um, I rarely run into Star Wars fans that that genuinely like read every comic book that read every novel, you know, play every game, whatever. Like, that just doesn't seem to happen anymore. As to where in the 90s, and even in the early aughts, that was incredibly common. Most Star Wars fans I talked to knew so much about, you know, uh, uh, like everything. And, And I'm not knocking new Star Wars fans at all, because also, admittedly, it's a lot easier to get digest versions, say, of what happens in the novels and comics and whatever else. Um, for example, you know, you can go and watch who like Star Wars Explained or some of those, you know, some other YouTubers who break down all of the canonicity, you know, and changes and whatever else that happened within a lot of this material and give you like maybe a brief overview of what happened. Or you can go to Wikipedia and find out what happened. Um, so there's there's digest versions of 
you know, all of this material, that maybe that's what a lot of people are going for. But admittedly, I see, while I think that's fine, um, and I respect that because we all have the time that we have. And I mean, believe me, you know, I read literally everything Star Wars um, and it just about takes up like, you know, all of my time. Like I, I rarely get to read any other kind of book or any other comic book or, you know, anything like that because there's just so damn much. Is there too much? That's a separate conversation to have. <laughs> my answer would be yes, but that's a separate con and, and I can't believe I'm saying that, you know, the idea that there's too much Star Wars. Um because in the 90s, you know, like like 13-year-old me would have would have started kicking my shins if I said that <laughs> if I said that to him. Um but, you know, it's it's where we're at right now. Anyway, all of this is to say that it's a pretty good bet that Disney is not because even they've slowed down. Yeah, there's too much out there, but even they've slowed down on what they've been putting out there. Um, like, you know, now it's a novel and maybe a full-size novel, if you're lucky, you know, every two, three months. As to where before, we were getting one at least every month, um, which was the pace that Star Wars had set, you know, when LucasArts or, you know, when, or Lu when George Lucas was still running it, um, was you'd get like a major novel every month and then who knows what else you'd get, you know, as far as young adult or kids books or whatever. Um, certainly Disney's putting out a lot more of those and, you know, that's their forte and I, I get that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think the sales numbers are there and certainly the excitement, the same excitement isn't there. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> all of this was me saying, no, the, the best books, the best Star Wars books in the new canon since Disney took over, um, and, and keep that in mind, it's new canon, like those old books don't count anymore, quote unquote. Um, but in the new canon, yeah, this is, you, you know, like, like there, this is not the greatest book. It's a very good book. I dare say it might even be a great book uh, because there's a lot of cool shit in this that you would not get to experience it if you just took it in digest form. I want to make that clear. Okay, I still think it's uh, uh, important, at least for certain books, maybe not everyone. Okay, like there's certainly some High Republic, uh, I, I don't know, edge of whatever that like for, that that's made for, you know, eight-year-olds. I still read it. Okay, you know, and there's even an audiobook version of it, which is how I'm able to read it, uh, partly. But, you know, you, you don't have to take that in because you're probably not going to get, like, really cool shit in it. You're just getting adventures in Star Wars land. Is that new to Disney? No, this stuff was done with, like, kind of golden books and, like, those books on record and everything that, you know, were the, you know, Chewie and the Ewoks were doing something together and all that. I mean, it's not new for Star Wars, okay? This kind of material has always been there. But, yeah, certainly you can skip those, okay? Like, I, I get that. Unless you're a canon junkie, you, there's a lot uh, out there that you can really skip. But this is one that I don't think should be skipped. Uh, Shadows of the Sith, or Shadow of the Sith, which came out, oh, I wanted, let's see, that was end of June. So it was June 28th, I think, 2022. Um, so this is a very new book. And it takes place between uh, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. In fact, it's 17 years after Return of the Jedi. So this is well after The Mandalorian. Luke is an older guy, okay? He's got the pepper beard, you know, the whole the whole thing. Um, Lando's an older guy who is the other main character. The two main characters involved here, I mean, you get no, no Leia, no Han, nothing like that. Uh, the two main characters you're getting in this are Lando, I mean, R2-D2's around, um, but Lando and Luke are your, are your main, your, your main guys. Now, 
we knew, okay, that this was going to, that, that there were stories like this out there. We knew this ahead of time. Why? Because when you play, um, particularly when you play like Battlefront 2, as in EA's newer Battlefront 2 with Aiden Versio, we know that Luke and Lando went on some adventures, uh, you know, hunting down varying like force artifacts, whether Sith or Jedi. So the idea that Luke and Lando are working together, like that's not an odd pairing at all. In fact, it's a great one just because they are such contrasted characters, even more so than like Han and Luke, you know, because Lando is such a uh, uh, <laughs> scoundrel, <laughs> as it were, even more so than Han, I think, um, that it really contrasts with, you know, more of Luke's kind of, for lack of a better term, because I hate this term, but lack of a better term, stoicism. Uh, it, you know, like, you know, Lando's ready to pour a drink and, you know, has like all this really lavish, you know, uh, uh, clothing and, and, and set up on the Lady Luck, which, by the way, the Lady Luck, which is from the original, original, uh, you know, heir to the Empire, uh, Timothy Zahn trilogy with Thrawn, uh, the Lady Luck. I think the Lady Luck had been canon previously to this in Disney's new canon, but it's certainly canon now. And I definitely want to talk about some of the other things that get mentioned in this book that are now canon. Um but they, it makes for it makes for a very interesting contrast. So you're still, you know, getting Luke and Luke, you know, and uh, let's just say it right out front. Luke is engaging in lightsaber battles in this like kick ass lightsaber battles. Um, it, you know, it, it really works having just Luke and Lando being kind of the main characters here. So let's talk a little bit about um, a little bit about Adam Christopher, who wrote the novel. Uh, this is not his uh, first rodeo with Star Wars. In fact, he was originally supposed to write the um, original Mandalorian novel that was going to come out, what, like two years ago? Um, that got canceled because Gia Serrano. But, you know, and, I mean, it's because of Disney, you know, being asses. But anyway, that I, I don't think it's unfair to say uh, that even though the claim was that, well, no, we, you know, we did, we took Adam Christopher off the Mandalorian project because uh, he's going to write Shadows of the, or Shadow of the Sith. Yeah, no, that's not how that worked. <laughs> but, but that's the claim. Anyway, uh, he also did short stories for both of the From a Certain Point of View uh, uh, short story collections. He had done End of Watch on the first one for A New Hope. Um, the From a Certain Point of View books, if you remember, those are like the 40th anniversary novels. Uh, or, or collections, short story collections, and because he also wrote The Witness for The Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view collection. Um, and both, you know, fine stories. Uh, he's also written, uh, he had also written, he had done some tales from Wild Space for Star Wars Adventures. I mean, so, you know, he's been around. Uh, and I think his writing was serviceable. The story was great. I have a very hard time believing, like, here... Here's the thing with this story, and I'm not knocking Adam Christopher at all, okay, to be clear. Uh, he, he's, he's a good writer. I'm not going to say he's a great writer. He's, he's a good writer, okay? Um, and what do I mean by that? Well, let me, let me okay, so one of the challenges, let, let's talk about that, then I'll, I'll get into, like, why I think Adam Christopher, this isn't his story at all. He, he was just a hired gun. Um, one of the challenges in writing and i say this as a writer and i'm not a good writer okay <laughs> but but i know good writing one of the challenges in writing is when you're writing fiction and if you ever take like writing courses and all this and i mean this has been true for decades 
if you ever take writing courses or, or anything like that, usually a great teacher, writing teacher, will tell you, I want you to stop saying he said, she said. Use something other than said. Because the two most popular ways of ending off some, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, characters talking in a novel, it, the way to end dialogue usually is he said or she said. Or if action follows what was just stated, a very common phrase used next, and it's probably the most common next to he said or she said, is and with that. Like, and with that, they flew off into the stars or whatever, you know. He uses with that way too much. And you keep hearing it, and it's so repetitive. Um, I mean, I, I think that sort of thing can work in more juvenile writing. And I don't mean juvenile as an insult. I mean as in, like, junior novels, you know, or, or like, uh, like kids' books, you know, like that. When you're using a more limited vocabulary, that's fine. But this is a major, full adult novel. So, you know, I expect a little more, but the, the, with that's once you, after you hear them a couple times, like they just keep coming and they, they don't stop. It, it's, it's annoying. <laughs> so that's why I say, I don't want to call him like a great writer, but he does the job. Now, what job was he hired to do? Here's what he was hired to do. See this book, shadows, shadow of the Sith. I keep calling it shadows, but shadow of the Sith, this book is meant to, this, this is, in fact, I, I think I'd heard Adam Christopher himself, or at least someone who was interviewing him, had said, this is Return of the Jedi, like, or this is like Star Wars 6.5, meaning this is the midway point between, this is literally being treated as, as the midway point between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Now, that's kind of cool that the title of the book, in a way, it like, it actually has the word shadow, because... One of the greatest Star Wars novels ever, ever written for the old canon, not the new canon, for the old canon, was the book that took place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, that being Shadows of the Empire. So having Shadow of the Sith and it being the bridge between two major films or two episodic films, you know, episode six and episode seven, uh, was, I, I don't think that was, uh, I, I think that was intentional is my point. I think that was intentional. I don't think that was an accident. Uh, and, and kudos. Like, I, I think that's cool. Um, that they did that because they're they're paying homage, you know, to one of the great Star Wars novels that's ever been written, that being uh, Steve Perry's, uh, again, Shadows of the Empire. So now in this, here's the thing. This is the book that we should have gotten before The Force Awakens came out. Instead, we got the horrendous Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. Um, that made no sense because Chuck Wendig, and, and I'll empathize with him a little bit, Chuck Wendig effectively had to like write something that hinted at stuff that would be coming up in The Force Awakens and maybe beyond, but then also say nothing because, as we all know, for the sequel trilogy, 7, 8, and 9, Disney had no plan. So, like, Chuck Wendig couldn't like put down anything really concrete because clearly, Ruin John, I mean, sorry, Ryan Johnson fucked up what J.J. Abrams was putting down in The Force Awakens with The Last Jedi, and then The Rise of Skywalker rewrote everything, which, I mean, and, and had no plan, and we know that. Why? Because, I mean, just, again, look at look at The Rise of Skywalker art book, which came out long after the movie was already out, and already out on home video at that. Uh, I mean, it came out like a year later. 
But that book had no artwork for the Emperor. So the Emperor was not part of the plan. That was a late edition. And it, but it's the main crux of the fucking movie. So anyway, so I can empathize a little bit with Chuck. I mean, he's, he's a goof, but I can empathize with him a little bit that he had a very hard writing task because he had to like make, try and make compelling, you know, Star Wars novels, which I don't think they were compelling. And it's not just because they're written in the first person, which I think sucks, but whatever. Okay. So Adam Christopher here, okay, got to do what Chuck Wendig should have done with the Aftermath trilogy. This is a genuine bridge between Return of the Jedi and the events of, um, you know, of, of The Force Awakens and really the entire sequel trilogy. Um, and, and it does a good job of that, you know, and this is something like Rob and I have talked about on other TIE Fighter Renegades episodes. That Disney, over time, can fix the sequel trilogy, not by like re-editing them or anything, but by building up more backstory around everything that happens in those films and keeps them from just coming out of the blue and being shallow. And this is, a, this is pr probably one of the better attempts at doing that, though certainly The Mandalorian has already started doing that on, like, you know, the idea of force clone or clones with force abilities and everything, like all that's kind of getting led up to, you know, in, in The Mandalorian, um, among other things. And, you know, you get more of the Luke Skywalker that we wanted in the sequel trilogy in The Mandalorian. But Disney is clearly, you know, they're in damage control mode and they are working on repairing the clusterfuck that was the sequel trilogy. And this book does a pretty good job of helping out with that because a major... So, well, okay, before I talk about that. So that, that was Adam Christopher's job. And again, this is not an original story by Adam Christopher. Why? Because he had to... Like, his mission was to make things that bridge the gap between, again, Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, but also explains things further, the, you know, revelations that occur throughout the sequel trilogy. So he wasn't hired to, hire, to write an original story. He was hired to flesh out what's already been, that, what's already there. You know, I mean, this is, you know, I always talk about how Star Wars is like, uh, you know, Jewish Midrash where it's like explaining the odd things in, in the, in, you know, in Torah and Tanakh. Well, this is, this is like hardcore Midrash because it's trying to explain so much of what happens, ends up happening, especially in the sequel trilogy, because it doesn't address much really with Return of the Jedi. Um, I mean, it's in between the, those two movies, yes, but it actually doesn't really touch on Return of the Jedi um, at all. So, you know, it's more about fixing the sequel trilogy. And again, like I said, I think overall it did a pretty good job of it. Um, the thing that for me probably keeps it from being a great book, uh, I'll talk about what is really good about it, but I guess to get in the biggest negative is that half of the narrative is about Ray, as in Ray nobody, <laughs> no, Ray Skywalker. It is about Ray as a like six or seven year old. And her parents, who we now know are, you know, like a, a failed clone of Palpatine, so a son of Palpatine, as it were, escaping from Exegol. And we do get, you know, stuff on Exegol. Um, and, you know, and, and her mother, who is someone that, that he met when he ran off to some world when he finally got off of Exegol. Um, you know, like that, that whole storyline around how they end up like hiding Ray, and they do explain what, 
you know, why she's on Jakku, why she's under, uh, uh, you know, Uncle Plot, and, you know, what, what what's the whole deal with that. All of that does get explained, but it's fucking boring. Like, I just don't care, you know? And that's not to say that I don't care about Rey as a character. It's just, go forward, go forward. I don't give a shit about Rey's past. I don't give, like, the, the concept of her parents is frankly still a dumb idea. And this book didn't do that any favors other than, yes, it did flesh it out, but it really didn't do it any 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 favors. And it, all I wanted to do was, no, no, get back to Luke, get back to Lando, even though part of their mission is like trying to rescue this family. Um, I just wanted to get into that. Uh, you know, talk more about Ochi of Bastoon and what, you know, what he's doing and how he ends up with that fucking dagger that should not exist in the rise of Skywalker, which they do an okay job of explaining that in this as well. Um, that that's all I wanted them to do. And, and like, there's this whole character, um, within the book that is, uh, kind of like Darth Momin. They're, they're really sort of the main, I mean, Ochi of Bestoon is, is kind of a villain here. And certainly, you know, we already know a lot about Ochi of Bestoon through the comic books. If you're reading the present comic book series, like Bounty Hunters, uh, the Star, Star Wars Volume 2, Darth Vader, uh, you know, all of those. And like you're reading uh, about Crimson Rain and everything. Like, you know Ochi of Bestoon. We've, got, we've gotten so much of that character, especially out of the Darth Vader comics um, in the past couple of years. So I don't really need more, you know, exposition on him. Um, but he's there. And I mean, he's an annoying character, but I think he's designed to be annoying. And, it, and overall, you know, it, it, just, it just kind of works. Um, he's just pathetic but then you know again he's he's pathetic uh by design but anyway the main villain um and and it's it's really well done uh you actually get the character of kiza who is one of the acolytes of beyond that basically only get described in the aftermath novels again which you know that idea nobody ran with that idea um in the sequel trilogy even though when you're reading the aftermath trilogy you know, back when the, before even the Force Awakens came out, you're like expecting, oh, what does this Acolytes Beyond? What's this? You know, and no payoff. But again, Disney had no fucking plan. Um, but you do get, I mean, this is the other impressive thing with this, uh, with this book is it does kind of close the loop on a lot of the weird shit that never got a payoff um, in Aftermath. Even if you don't exactly get a payoff, you do get closure at least. Um, but the character of Kiza is really cool. And, well, she ends up kind of like Darth Momin. If you know Darth Momin, he's that, like, that mask uh, that, and there's a point I want to get into with this, but Momin is that mask that, that people can put on, like, that's Invader's Castle um, that was actually aboard the Emperor ship at one point. If you read the, the probably still the best comic book series that Disney has done under the new canon, that being uh, the Lando comic, um, the original Lando comic that came out back in, what was that, like 2015, something like that. Um, anyway, there's a, there's another character who who was a Sith Lord. His name is Viceroy uh, Exum Panchard. And you find out he ended up, you know, he was able, like Momin, to like transfer his essence into a relic, in this case, another mask. And Kiza, who Luke thought he had saved, you know, she ends up like putting on this mask. Uh, but it's a really cool character. Like, you know, she has her lightsaber and everything, you know, her red lightsaber um, that that also has a lot of history to it. She ends up flying around in a TIE Defender, which is so cool for them to talk more about the TIE Defender. I'm kind of hoping that was Adam Christopher's edition and he's like really a hardcore Star Wars fan. And like myself and like Rob and like many others, 
like one of Star Wars highlights was the game uh, Star Wars TIE Fighter from 1994, which is what introduced everybody to the TIE Defender, which has been in canon since Star Wars Rebels in Disney's you know new canon. But regardless, um, I thought that was really cool. That was one of the very cool aspects of this. But the villains, you know, were were awesome. Um, I mean, Ochi Abestun, like I said, he's annoying and I don't really care. And he was more tied into the story arc around Ray and Ray's parents. So again, that bored the hell out of me. But you also got more of uh, of Pride, you know, in, in this case, General Pride, uh, or who would be Allegiant General Pride in Rise of Skywalker, which that was fun as well to get that inclusion. Um, but just the, the story between Kiza, Luke, and Lando, even though that was tied into finding Rey's parents, uh, ultimately, like, like I, that was what was really rewarding and had its cool Star Wars moments to it. Everything else was was kind of boring. That's why I can't really call it a great book, but it is a good book and it does do the job that it's meant to do. And this is kind of one of the overarching points I want to get into before I talk about some of the other, you know, like positive aspects, because really, you know, the, the storyline with Ray and Ray's parents, that's the only thing that I just didn't care about. And I, again, I want to I want to make this very clear. I'm not hating on the character of Ray. It's just I, and I'm all for having more Ray Skywalker, but give me Ray Skywalker 20 years after, you know, uh, um, Rise of Skywalker. Like, give me the, give me the, 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 the you know, Jedi leader, Ray Skywalker, who doesn't have, you know, who isn't fighting off all these varying problems or whatever, and is just out there kicking ass. And I am so on board with that. Okay, so I'm not throwing shade here at anybody, you know, with Ray or involved with Ray or whatever. Just not. Um, so anyway, so one of... One, one of the things that, that really impressed me with this book is how many different media avenues it addressed. You get, again, correlation to Star Wars games. Again, all of these are canon. You get correlation or you get connect, connectivity, I should say. You get connective tissue with that because of Luke and Lando looking for relics and whatever. Um, and this book, by the way, does set up where there's more stories to tell, you know, and there are. There's still, there's still plenty of years between this and The Force Awakens. Um, so you get that. You also get connective tissue again with the Aftermath trilogy and many other Star Wars novels. So it pays attention to the fact that there's a lot, you know, and it references what much else in the novels. Um, it also references the comic books regularly, especially, like I said, the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest comic that, that Disney has done with Star Wars, uh, that being the Lando comic where, you know, Lando is talking about Darth Moman. And he directly references what happens aboard Palpatine's yacht when he broke into it, um, you know, many years previous to the time frame of, of this, of the novel Shadow of the Sith. Uh, and, and of course, there's reference to a billion things that happen within or that end up happening in the sequel trilogy. And it fleshes all of that out. So if you want a book that tries to make more sense out of the sequel trilogy, I mean, this is. This is why I say it's the most important book Disney has put out for Star Wars, because it is the book that makes sense of all of this bullshit that they made, you know, and and it, I want to say it overall, it succeeds in that. And that's part of what makes it such a good book. So it is the most important book. Again, that doesn't mean it's the greatest. It's not even close. It's just the most important one to get everything that's going on, you know, in the sequel trilogy. And I hope Disney keeps doing this where, you know, they do continue um, to flesh out 
things that happen in the sequel trilogy so that those movies can be rewatched in 20 years and they have more weight and it's things that like make sense and that, Oh, there's a ton of story around, you know, this event and that event and whatever. That's not the way storytelling in my opinion should be done, but it's what we're left with. And if you still enjoy a lot of what's happening in star Wars, and as I've said in previous, even very recent TIE fighter renegades, like especially with the comic books, there's awesome shit going on. You know, there's still new star Wars to love. Make no mistake. I'm not saying all of it's great, but there's plenty of it that is, um, you know, then this is something that I think is worthwhile. Uh, now, I mean, let's let's talk a bit about the, you know, about, about the positives within this book. One thing that this book did really well, or that I enjoyed that this book did, is Ochi of Bastoon, um, as well as uh, Exum Panshard, who's, you know, the, the, the Sith Lord in the mask, uh, both either directly in the case of Ochi, or indirectly more in the case of Panchard, address that the ability to heal is, because I've, I've, I've laid out this theory for years, ever since Rise, before, even before Rise of Skywalker came out, you know, when that episode where Grogu heals um, Carl Weathers' character in The Mandalorian, um, I brought up this theory that healing is actually a dark side power. It's not a light side power, like that transference of life essence to heal another creature, like Ray does with that snake in, in Rise of Skywalker. That is a dark side power. Um, and this book seems to directly state that. You know, Ochi seems to directly state it. And of course, Panchard is trying to come back, you know, after centuries, uh, you know, come back into the living, which kind of hints at, like, because his whole goal is he's trying to get to Exegol. I mean, both Ochi and Panchard are trying to get to Exegol, and they're trying to find it. Um, and Panchard, thinking he can be resurrected on Exegol, you know, that's that's foreshadowing, no pun intended, of what Palpatine is doing there. And so that that works, like that that that's cool. That that these are villains that have, and we know Ochi knows about Exegol, okay, and you know the the, the seat of power that it is. Like we have villains here with actually great motives, which is exceptionally rare even in Star Wars or even in Disney Star Wars. Um, so I like that a lot. I, I like that confirmation that, you know, again, that that healing, that the sharing of life essence is not a light side power. It's a dark side power. Uh, you know, it's a Sith ability. And that's which I mean, we should have known that. Again, I think that's been directly stated anyway, um, even in what's still considered canon course with episode three you know with what Darth Plagueis did and was um, but then also again in the old canon in the old EU with Shadows of the Empire not Shadows of Sith but Shadows of the Empire where Vader is able to heal himself with the dark side um, but then you know once he's healed he's happy and so he loses it you know because he starts accessing the light side instead of the dark side so my theory stands tall uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm the first person to lay out that theory and again it comes for me it comes directly from Shadows of the Sith, even though that wasn't considered canon at the time that I first brought it up. Um, but yeah, we do get we get some more of Exegol. I, I'll admit, there, like, there's some greater explanation and extrapolation on what the Sith can do and are, but not. There's no nobody's really building up more about Exegol, and that needs to happen. If there's another point where this book failed, it's there. Even though you do get more of Exegol, you don't get more that we need to like really understand what the fuck we're seeing in Rise of Skywalker. 
Um, and I really, I would have loved that. But I mean, there's, yeah, there's plenty of direct references to the Sith Eternal and what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it, it works um, in, in that sense. But it's still, it's still kind of shallow, kind of superficial in what they explore with that, other than they explain how important the planet is. But that, that's really about all you get um, from it. And, and some of the things also, real quick, that they did talk about with Exegol, I do still think, prediction on my part, they're eventually going to bring back Kylo Ren. Like, that character is going to make a comeback. And they're going to say that, like, he fell into a virgence and he came back, I don't know, with the world between worlds or that Exegol healed him, whatever. However, that ends up, you know, kind of happening. Um, speaking of Exegol, though, they do directly discuss the uh, uh, the Wayfinders. And the Wayfinders are, like, Luke straight up says this, that the Wayfinders were the precursor technology to the Holocrons. Which is interesting because that's kind of hinting at that the Sith invented the holocrons, even though the Jedi would end up taking such great advantage of them. Um, so, you know, props to the Sith there. But like a lot of people, when Rise of Skywalker came out, like, why are you doing Wayfinders? Why not just say it's, you know, a holocron? Well, for one thing, you know, J.J. Abrams wants the exclusive marketing, uh, you know, toy marketing rights to anything. And so that's why everything gets renamed in the sequel trilogy, even though it looks exactly like shit that came before in Star Wars. Um, but in this case, like, this was a clever explanation of why Wayfinders and Holocrons are so similar, because one technology came before the other. So that, that you know, that, that worked for me. Um, then, yeah, like I already mentioned earlier, like, he's this TIE Defender. I thought that was so, there was no reason to bring that into the book. So it's just pure cool factor, and it works, and I love it. Um, and there was a lot of talk of Darth Momin. I thought that, you know, basically Exum Panchard kind of following the same notes with, you know, vesting himself into a relic or, like you know, like, like downloading his consciousness, as, as it were, not in a technological term, but in a Sith way, you know, into his into this mask. Um, it was copying the same beats as Momin, but you know, they referenced Momin. They didn't ignore the fact that how similar it is. And I, I think that works. And also that might have been a way for Adam Christopher to essentially say, hey, I'm not making up a new force ability here. This is something that was already set in the canon. Uh, and if that's why he did it, okay, like I can get behind that because that's a complaint. And usually these Star Wars fans are idiots. I mean, I'm sorry, they're wrong. Um, when they say that something that happened in the sequel trilogy, oh, that's a new force ability that didn't exist before. That's not true. <laughs> Most of the time you can directly reference even into the old EU where this idea came from. It's part of the problem, actually. It's the, the problem is actually the reverse of what most people are complaining about. It's not that Disney's introducing new shit. It's that they're bringing in old shit and not giving credit where it's due, which that's Disney's MO forever, right? I mean, even with their animated films in the 50s and, you know, they never gave credit to the actual writers um, that they were lifting and bastardizing their stories from you know, Snow White, whatever. But anyway, so yeah, and it was cool. Like I mentioned, Lando has the lady luck. You know, he's not using the Falcon. That, of course, that makes sense. Um, but Lando's, you know, Lando's rocking the lady luck. That's nice. Uh, and it was described exactly as it was in the Heir to the Empire trilogy. So I thought that that was, you know, that was cool. Um, you know, the lightsaber, Darth Noctis's lightsaber, or well, Darth Noct yes, Darth Noctis's lightsaber and kind of the explanations around the Acolytes of the Beyond. Um, like, it was cool to finally get some understanding of what the fuck were the Acolytes of the Beyond. At the same time, it was kind of a write-off. 
Like, it's like, okay, yeah, they were a thing, but they were stupid. I mean, then that's exactly what they say is that they were stupid and childish. Um, and that they didn't know what they were messing with as far as the Sith goes. But I don't know that that comes off kind of weak, but at the same time, I'm glad to get some explanation of what the hell that was. But it also gets closure with what ends up happening to the character of Kiza, who, again, was a part of the Acolytes of the Beyond. Um, but again, a lot of downplaying on that, which I get it that they needed to do it. Um, another thing that they pulled from the old EU that I actually, I, I like this. Uh, they brought in the Corporate Sector Authority. Now, the Corporate Sector Authority, you've got to go way back, even before the Heir to the Empire trilogy in the 90s when Star Wars was making a comeback in fiction. You've got to go back to the like original um, Brian Daly Han Solo novels from the 80s, you know, like uh, Han Solo at Star's End. Um, and in that, one of like the people he had to deal with or one of the groups he had to deal with was the Corporate Sector Authority, um, which was like this, you know, like capitalist, you know, power player uh, group in in the Star Wars galaxy. And they brought them in. And now Lando's dealing with them in this case. And this is why I said it's like, even though you, you know, you might not think this book has to do with Han Solo indirectly, it does. Um, it really worked to have the corporate sector authority here. And that's actually who uh, Pride, I think he's a colonel at this point, um, is a part of the group. If you remember also, like, they were, the corporate sector authority were also described um, in Rebel Dawn, which Rebel Dawn was, there There was a, so there's the Brian Daly Han Solo trilogy from the 80s, but then there was like a Han Solo uh, trilogy that was like an origin story that came out by A.C. Crispin in the late, or in the 90s. Three of the best Star Wars books ever written. I mean, they're really great. They're not canon anymore. I wish they were, uh, but they're phenomenal. And in Rebel Dawn, uh, like the corporate sector authority are in that, which at the time it was cool to have that because it was referencing books from, you know, 10, 15 years previous. Uh, now it's great, you know, to have like this practically 40 year history, you know, essentially get referenced in this book. So bringing in the corporate sector authority, I thought was a nice touch. Uh definitely appeasing really, really longtime Star Wars fans because they're the only ones that would know about that. I mean, they even called it like the troops, the Espos, which is exactly what they're called in the, the Brian Daly Han Solo books. Um, so that was cool. A lot, lot of canon stuff, you know, to really dig into this. Again, the book was really here to make sense of the sequel trilogy and to try and bring together a lot, what I think were ultimately disparate threads that were getting set up in Disney comics, Disney Star Wars comics, Disney Star Wars novels, and even Disney Star Wars games that never got their payoff because, again, Disney had no plan. Even though you had a lot of people laying groundwork based on whatever notes they were, you know, fortunately given, even though those notebooks probably got thrown away by Ruin John I'm sorry, Ryan Johnson. Um, so, yeah, you know, that makes it like, the, again, I think this that ultimately makes this like a this is a nexus of a book. This is a focal point of a book. Um, and it'll probably go down as perhaps I mean, you know, in 20 years when there's a bunch of other books that are explaining everything that happens with that happened with the sequel trilogy that made no sense when it came out. Um, or, you know, we're getting more stories and people just kind of forget the sequel trilogy as just being Oh, well, you know, those were nice origin stories for these characters like Finn and Poe and Ray. Um, you know, outside of that, this is a book that's that's going to stand up as like a must read for, I think, many, many years, uh, because, again, it does bring everything together and it makes sense of all this weird shit. Um, 
in fact, I don't like it does a pretty good job of kind of rehashing some of what's some of the loose ends described in the aftermath trilogy. I don't think you ever need to read the aftermath trilogy. I mean, they're horrible books to begin with, but you know, like any, anything that's going to actually, because I mean, because again, a lot of people were reading the aftermath trilogy, looking for clues of what they were going to find out in the sequel trilogy. And that didn't happen. Not really. There was nothing really said that made any sense as to where this is a book that you could read, say, before you saw the sequel trilogy, and suddenly the sequel trilogy would make a ton of sense, or at least more sense than it does. Um, So that's what puts it as the most important Star Wars novel written to date. Could that change in the future? Sure. But right now, that's my opinion on it. Again, it's not a great novel, but it's a good one. You get again. You get some awesome action, some awesome lightsaber action, some awesome starfighter action. You get lots of great action. Okay, you get lots of what makes Star Wars great in it. Um, but then there's also plenty of flaws, you know, and stuff that's just flat out boring uh, within it. So that's why I call it a good book, but it is the most important book. So Shadow of the Sith by uh, Adam Christopher, very fresh. It, you know, ju- just just came out. Um, <laughs> Man, again, it should have, this should have been the book that came out in 2013. This should have been the book. It couldn't have come out then because, again, there's no plan, but it should have been the book. But we've got it now, so go ahead and enjoy it. It has my recommendation. Um, You know, if you want other Star Wars novels to check out, I mean, you can email me or get in touch with me through varying ways, uh, available through TIE Fighter Renegades, and... You know, I, I like I'd be happy to do a list of like the books that you should read that I think that are kind of essential and that are at least enjoyable in the Star Wars sense. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are probably just taking in Star Wars again in digest format now, which is both understandable and partly a shame. But again, I get it. But if you want to if you do want to read a book, Shadow of the Sith is one to go for. That's it for this review from TIE Fighter Renegades. It went a little long, but there's a lot to get into here because this book was covering a lot of ground. So we had to cover a lot of ground. And uh, I'll be back. Again, we got Andor coming out. All kinds of, you know, exciting Star Wars stuff to be coming out soon. And we'll be here at TIE Fighter Renegades to review that. And I will see all of you, woo, on the other side. (laughs) 